Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Let's get those Bibles out and get those pages turning to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to read some verses there toward the end of that chapter that will really serve as a very fitting and perfect introduction for the things that we want to talk about this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to begin as we prepare to listen to hear what God has to say from His inspired Word. This certainly is a little bit different perspective on a Sunday morning, but it is still the same excellent gathering of God's people and people who are seeking after God's things. And I'm just delighted to get to be a part of this good assembly today. What a wonderful crowd we do have in attendance, and we do have folks who are visiting with us today, and we're really glad that you've come to be with us on what is a very beautiful, beautiful first day of the week. I'm really happy that you're here, and I hope you're ready to be about the business of God's Word. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm reading here beginning in verse number 24. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 24, Paul writes to Timothy and says that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, But kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. The snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I don't know if you know this or not, but it is rat season. Not in Kentucky, but it most certainly is rat season up in New York City. An estimated 2 million rats populate the Big Apple, and this right now is the time of the year when they are at their most active. All those little baby rats that were born back in the spring, they are now off and running and playing and learning about the big wide world, and as a result, they are making life miserable For New Yorkers, they are everywhere. They are in restaurants. They are in city parks. They are at children's playgrounds. They are even dragging people's trash across the street for them. I actually think that's kind of a nice thing for the rats to be doing. It's so bad in New York this time of year that just last month, the city decided that they were going to fund a $32 million project to try and deal with the rat population. Now, I don't know all of the details of that $32 million plan, but I'm wondering if maybe the good people at Victor Pest, the world's leader in rodent control, I'm wondering if maybe they have seen an increase in sales this summer. Because they are the manufacturers of that most popular and quite possibly most effective method of dealing with rats. And that would be these large wooden traps. We've all seen one of these before. Maybe we've all used one of these before, haven't we? Maybe not the big ones, maybe more of the smaller version of these that are designed for for catching mice. Maybe that's what we're more familiar with. But this particular model, it is designed to trap big, nasty, disease-carrying vermin that chew holes in the walls, tear stuff up, and they just generally wreak havoc on people. And yes, this and these are real traps that catch real rats. And they are caught for the purpose, young people, not of making them your pet, 
but for the purpose of causing them to die. In a very real way then. Isn't that exactly what we just got done reading about in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 26? That that is what the devil is seeking to do? That he is, in the words of verse 26, he is seeking to ensnare you, to capture you, to trap you just like a rat. That the devil's desire is to trap you, to make it impossible for you to escape, so that you will, in fact, do his will, and ultimately, you will die. That is what he wants. And that is what the traps of the devil are all about. Spiritual death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. James talks about in James chapter 1, that desire, when it gives birth to sin, sin then, when it is fully grown, it brings forth Death, James 1 verse 15, spiritual death, separation from God. That is then a frightening thought to imagine that the devil is seeking to trap me in order to bring about my spiritual and eternal demise. Which is why it is critically important that we, in the words of our preaching theme for 2017, that we take sin seriously. So that we can identify those traps. We can understand the traps of Satan. And fortunately for you and I, the Bible has lots to say about being ensnared by the devil. The Bible has lots to say about the trap of sin. And I want to explore some of those things and some of those ideas with you this morning. And in fact, I want to do that in two distinct Directions. I want to spend the majority of our time this morning talking about why it is that we so often find ourselves trapped in sin. But of course, that discussion would really be incomplete if we did not conclude by saying some words about how it is that we can avoid the trap of sin. That is exactly what I want us to think about this morning. I want us to think about the idea of sin as a trap. Maybe the best way for me to do that this morning is to just keep on talking about rats a little bit. And how it is that rats come to be in a trap just like this. First and foremost, I think the problem for most, if not all rats, is that whenever they approach that trap, rats, they just don't exactly know what it is that they're looking at. Rats do not recognize that this, this is a trap. You know, rats do some things, and in fact, they do some things really, really well, like chewing through the holes in the walls. But you know, careful, analytical, thoughtful reasoning, eh, that's just not really a rat's strong suit. Rats aren't really known for thinking things through. As best I can tell, rats don't approach a trap and say, hmm, oh, okay, I see here, the bait clip is attached to the trigger arm, which is holding in place that solid steel spring, which then powerfully releases that big hammer arm that will then crush me and kill me immediately. Oh, I understand. That is a trap. That's not how rats do. That's not how rats think at all. And that's why whenever you are in your house or in your basement, you're setting out mice or rat traps, you don't even have to make any effort at all to to cover it up or to try to hide it from the rats. You can just 
You can just set it right out in the open. You can set it out in the open and put a big neon sign on it that says, trap, 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 you will die. This is a trap and you know what? Not going to make any difference. Because rats, they don't have a clue what's going on. Rats don't really take the time to do that kind of thinking that we often do. If I do this, then this is going to be what happens next. No, they don't do that kind of reasoning. But you know what? We don't always do that kind of reasoning when it comes to sin. All too often we find ourselves caught up in the moment and as a result we don't do any of that careful thinking and analyzing. We don't look and see where it is that things might lead. We don't think about, if I do this, then this will occur. Look with me in the Bible in Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26... I'll give you a real life example of that where I just don't think there was a whole lot of thinking going on. In Matthew the 26th chapter, this is the Apostle Peter. In Matthew the 26th chapter, read with me beginning in verse 69. Matthew 26 verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. And a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, This, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and they said to Peter, Certainly, you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know this man. And immediately, immediately the rooster crowed. Peter remembered the saying of Jesus that before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He went out and wept bitterly. Now what are you doing there, Peter? What's going on? Why are you, of all people, why are you there in that courtyard? What exactly is going on in your mind? Now Peter maybe would have tried to rationalize that by saying, well, I was... I was kind of coming to see what would happen to Jesus. I was trying to, you know, come to see if maybe I could help Jesus. And yes, maybe, maybe that might could have happened. But the other thing that Peter should have been thinking about is, you know what? If I go there, I might be putting myself in a position where I'll be having lots of pressure placed upon me. Or I might go there and I might actually get arrested and that might then lead to me compromising my faith. Because, of course, after it happened the first time denying Jesus, why didn't Peter get himself out of there? I'll tell you why Peter didn't get himself out of there after the first time. It's because Peter didn't realize that he was walking headlong right into the devil's trap. You know, as we talk about the idea of the devil and his traps, maybe right here, maybe I ought to give the devil at least a little bit of credit. Because, you know, a lot of times the reason that we don't recognize his traps is because he does work so hard to conceal and to camouflage his traps. The devil is able to disguise sin so that it really doesn't even look like a trap to us at all. Uh, For example, maybe I can illustrate it this way. Does anybody know what this thing here is? I'll tell you what it looks like. It kind of looks like a barbecue grill from Star Wars. That's what it looks like to me. But it's not. It actually is a very high-tech and, in fact, very expensive mosquito trap. Now, you look at that thing and everybody's kind of go, whoa, that's what that is? That sure doesn't look like a mosquito trap. In fact, that doesn't look like a trap of any kind. And I'm suggesting to you this morning that sometimes that's the way it is with the devil in sin. 
We don't always recognize that we're looking at a big, deadly trap. We get fooled by the way the devil camouflages sin. The devil does that in a lot of different ways. For example, maybe the devil camouflages sin through false teaching. You know, that guy, he stood up in front of an audience of people and he looked like some kind of religious authority. And what he was saying, it sure sounded like it was true. I guess it must be true then. Or what about this? Maybe for a young person, young people. What about how the devil disguises sin through peer pressure? Peer pressure, I believe, is one of the biggest disguises that the devil uses. I mean, come on, young people think. Come on. There's so many people doing this. It can't possibly be that bad if this many people are doing it. Or what about this? What about how the devil dresses sin up with fun? I really actually think that might be the most deadly way. The best camouflage disguise that the devil has at his disposal. And that is that he dresses sin up with those passing pleasures of sin the Hebrew writer talks about. You know, whenever you hear about sin from this pulpit, sin sounds horrible. It sounds awful. It sounds terrible. But of course, when you get out there, sin doesn't look so slimy. Sin doesn't seem so terrible out there. Out there, it looks enjoyable. Out there, it looks harmless. Out there, it looks fun. Look in Proverbs 27 with me. In Proverbs chapter 27, the wise man speaks to this very thing. In Proverbs chapter 27, I'm looking here in verse number 12. In Proverbs chapter 27, and in verse 12... The wise man says here, Proverbs 27, verse 12, The prudent sees danger and hides himself. But the simple go on and suffer for it. And so the devil sets his traps. And many times we just don't see the danger. We are not being prudent. We are not being watchful. We are not discerning to see who it is, this roaring lion that is seeking to devour us. And as a result, bam, we are caught in the trap of sin. Now maybe right here, maybe I should say something. Maybe I should say something about how it is that you go about baiting those traps. I don't actually have these traps baited this morning. I think sometimes the problem is, is that what we think is that we think that we can somehow get the goodies that are sitting there on the trap, that we can get the goodies without actually springing the trap. Uh, Do you know what you bait one of those traps with? If I was to just survey everybody, and especially like our kids, everybody knows what the immediate answer, what do you put on a mouse trap or a rat trap to catch rodents? Well, we all know the answer to that. The answer is cheese. See that all the time on cartoons and in movies, Tom and Jerry, that sort of thing. Cheese is the officially designated food for rats and mice and rodents of every kind. We all just think cheese is what you use, but actually, actually cheese isn't the food that you want to use. Cheese can be snatched off of the trap relatively easily without actually triggering the hammer mechanism. Not to mention cheese, when it sits there, especially like in kind of some warmer weather, the cheese will sit there, and it'll actually start to corrode, it'll disintegrate, and it kind of just breaks down pretty quickly. And so cheese just isn't the best option. In fact, I've known of cases. I've had, we had mice in our other house that we lived at before. 
And I have set out traps with huge chunks of official cheese. And the rodents just didn't seem to care at all for that. They just completely and utterly ignored it. Cheese is not actually the best option. If you want to catch rats, what you got to use, you got to use peanut butter. Peanut butter, you can't eat peanut butter. Rats will actually stand in line to get trapped with peanut butter. And the reason that peanut butter works so well, it gives off a good aroma to the rats. It has more longevity than cheese does. Uh, it's the perfect bait because it's it's sticky and it's gooey, which means then that you can't come to the trap and you can't get that off of the clip without springing the trap. In fact, really the best thing for you to do is get you maybe a piece of bread, maybe get like the heel piece of the loaf. Nobody likes the heel piece. And just butter that up with peanut butter. Like, just douse it real good with peanut butter. Then take that and just roll it up into a big, icky, nasty, slimy, ooey, gooey ball. And you set that on top of the trap. And since that big peanut butter ball is so dense and it's so solid and sticky, there is no way that a rat can come along and start tugging on that ball without springing the trap. There's no way he's going to be able to get those goodies without suffering the consequences. Just, just like Satan's traps. You cannot, I repeat, you cannot engage in sin and wickedness without springing his trap. You just can't. Would you find that passage in Romans 6? I alluded to it earlier. In Romans 6, I need everybody to look at this verse because I want you to be very careful in noticing what is not in this verse. In Romans chapter 6 and in verse 23. In Romans 6 and in verse 23, Paul writes, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, that is the totality of that passage. Do you see it there? That passage does not say that the wages of some sin is death, but not all sin. verse doesn't say that, does it? The passage does not say that the wages of big sin, you all know what big sins are, that the wages of big sin is death, but the wages of little sins are not nearly so bad. doesn't say that either, does it? The passage says plainly that the wages of sin is death. You sin, you die. You sin, you are separated from God. Sin equals death. Now, the devil, of course, does not want you or I to believe that. The devil doesn't want you to think about the truth of that passage. The devil does not want you to weigh sin in terms of eternal consequences that are absolutely ironclad certain. No, the devil wants you to be deceived. And the devil wants you to believe his lies. In fact, the devil has been doing that since the very, very beginning of time. Would you go back to the beginning? Look in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, the very first time that the devil ever set a trap, take a look at what happened as he talked with Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, I'm reading here beginning in verse 1. Genesis 3 verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, 
you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. There you go. You can eat the goodies. You can get all of the goodies that you want and you won't have to pay the tab. Just go for it. Just enjoy. Just eat. Verse 4, you shall not surely die. The trap won't be sprung. And you know what? The devil continues to sing that exact same tune even to this day. He wants us to believe differently about sin than what God's Word tells us about sin. Instead of seeing sin as a life and death matter, that's what the Lord wants us to see. The devil instead distracts us with all kinds of thoughts about temporal consequences. We ask ourselves questions like, will anybody know if I do this? Will my parents find out if I do this? Will this hurt anybody? Or is there maybe something I could say that would excuse this, like, well, one time probably won't hurt. Or you know, God will certainly understand. After all, God made me this way. You know what? If the devil can get us to start running off those kinds of questions in our minds, then pretty quickly, he knows that we can then rationalize just about anything that I can enjoy me a little bit of sin and I will not be trapped. I can enjoy the bait. I can enjoy the goodies that are being dangled there in front of me, but the trap won't slam on me. Maybe right here is maybe as good a place as any to say something about pride. Would you find the book of Psalms with me in Psalm 59? In Psalm chapter 59, David says something here about pride. He's talking here about his enemies and how it is that they they boast and how they are so full of themselves. Notice what David says about the prideful who live in their wicked ways. In Psalm chapter 59, I'm looking here in verse 12. David says, For the sin of their mouths and the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. How often? How often have you heard somebody say, or maybe how often have you said yourself, Hey, I can handle it. Oh, that won't have any effect on me. I can go to that place, I can go to that party, and I'll not be tempted to do wicked things. Oh, that that, that stuff that's on my television screen, oh, that doesn't really bother me. I'm strong enough to handle it. Somehow when I hear those kinds of things, I kind of imagine, I imagine one rat saying to another rat, Hey, don't go over there. Don't you remember what happened to Ralph last week? Don't you remember that? And the other rat's kind of saying to him, Ah, I'm so much smarter than Ralph. I'm so much stronger than Ralph. I'm so much faster than Ralph was. I'm going to get the peanut butter and it won't trap me. But you know what? Whatever rationalizations... Whatever excuses that we might employ and throw out there to tell ourselves that we can enjoy the goodies of sin without the wages of sin, we are kidding ourselves. The truth is that will never, ever work. To think that I can somehow sin without receiving the wages of sin, that is a delusion. And the reason that is a delusion is because God is the one who pays the wages of sin. And whether those earthly consequences of sin, 
Whether those wages appear now or whether they appear later really doesn't matter. Because when you sin, the trap's going to be sprung. Whether you like that or not, whether you expected that or not. Which will lead me thirdly to say something, say something further about those earthly consequences. Many times I'm convinced the reason that we fall into the devil's trap is because those earthly consequences of our sin, they don't always appear as soon and as immediately as we sometimes would expect. I'll just tell you a little theory that I have about rats and what I think goes on in their mind the moment that they get caught in a trap. I actually think that in that final moment, it's almost euphoric for a rat. I kind of almost picture that in their mind's eye, as that hammer's coming down on the back of their neck, I almost kind of imagine they've got a smile on their face. Because what is a rat doing in that split second right before the hammer comes down? He's doing what he loves. He's eating. He comes prancing up to this trap here. And he sees this big wooden contraption and he notices on top of it, wow, look at that peanut butter. Oh, such a big, beautiful ball of peanut butter there. Oh, I'd like to have me some of that peanut butter. And so he goes up and kind of sniffs around a little bit and reaches up and takes a little bite. Oh, that is good. A free lunch here. And so he starts taking more bites. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm eating more and more and more. Oh, this is so good. Clearly this is not a trap. Look at me. I'm eating this and nothing's happening to me. You know what? I think I'll actually grab a big hunk of this and take it back to my wife and get her. And I think that's what happens to us. I think what happens to us sometimes is we kind of get to nibbling on sin. A few bites here and there. And when there's not that immediate consequence to it, we just convince ourselves that, that all is well. Everything is okay. Now, there are times when the earthly consequences of the sinner do appear immediately and dramatically. Like all at once. In the Old Testament, I'm thinking of Uzzah. Uzzah reached out and God struck him dead when he touched the ark. That was an immediate consequence. Or in the New Testament, I think about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. They lie, they die on the spot right then and right there. Immediate consequences for sin, they do occur, and we have proof of that kind of thing happening in the Bible. Think about this. Of all the people in the Bible, you think of all the big long period of time that the Bible covers, and how many thousands upon millions of people that we're talking about who live throughout the history of the Bible, how many people actually did get struck down for sinning right there on the spot? Well, the answer is not very many. And you know what? I think Satan makes a play with that truth. Because the trap does not always spring at once, at least not from our human vantage point, that we can sin... And we're not going to be immediately struck down. You know, you can go home this afternoon and you can tell a lie. And in all likelihood, you're not going to fall dead on the spot like Ananias and Sapphira did. And that is because the payback for sin, it's not always immediate. The pain and the sorrow that sin brings with it, it's not always going to be instantaneous. For example, young people, 
You can fornicate. You can be involved in sexual immorality and not get pregnant. You can do that. You can do that and not get a sexually transmitted disease. I hope nobody is bothered by me saying that, but yes, you can do those things and not suffer those consequences. In fact, you can go a long, long time, months, years, if you will, without ever feeling the effect of that sin. That is, until one day, you finally meet the person that you want to be married to. You get married. Then in that day, on that moment, you realize that you have marred that relationship. It is not everything that it could be. You see, the trap does not always spring immediately. Does it? Or how about this? You can go out and you can get drunk and then you can sober up the next day. And you may then think to yourself, see, that, that what was the harm in that? That wasn't all that bad. Without even realizing that by doing that, you have now planted the seed for alcoholism that will come later on and take your life over and ruin your life. But it all started with just that one first Drink that in the moment, I didn't seem all that destructive then. Or you know what? If you tell lies and gossip about people today, you probably will not see people's trust erode in you immediately. All of your friends will probably not turn away from you and abandon you right away. But in time, in time you will come to experience the consequences of that kind of behavior. And you know what? That's how a lot of sin works. Where there's not this immediate, decisive, and sudden snap that bites us for our iniquity. But I want you to understand, and I want all of us to be on guard, that we would not be lulled into a false sense of security here. Look in Galatians 6. In Galatians 6, Paul sets forth spiritual law. This does not matter if you agree with this. It does not matter if you like this. This is law. In Galatians chapter 6, I'm reading here in verse 7. There Paul says, Galatians 6 verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. It may not happen immediately, but Paul assures you it will happen. And I need to tell you something about that. I need to tell you something about that that you don't want to hear, and in fact, I don't want to hear. I need to tell you why that spiritual law is so. It is so because God fixed it that way. The reason that sin brings pain into our lives is because that is how God fixed it. Look in Proverbs again with me. In Proverbs 13, in Proverbs 13, there the wise man, he explains the divine order of things. How when we sin, God has fixed and arranged it so that it will snap on us and it will snap on us hard. In Proverbs chapter 13, I'm reading in verse 15. In Proverbs 13 and in verse 15, good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. I like the old King James there. The way of the transgressor is hard. 
The way of the sinner is ruinous and rugged and hard. The sinner experiences in this life some temporal and earthly consequences that are miserable and difficult and wretched to have to endure. And the reason that it is that way is because God wants it to be that way. Why? Because God wants us to repent. God arranges for that trap to snap on us. God arranges for sin to come and to haunt us at sometimes just the very most worst possible time. But God does that because He wants us to be driven away from sin. God wants us to see that 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 brings death. And God wants us to turn to Him for life. And so you can mark it down. You can be absolutely certain that if you sinned and you did not experience some kind of immediate earthly consequence with that, you just be sure. God's waiting around the corner for you. And God wants you to feel the consequence of your sin. Why? So that you will stop sinning. Look in Psalm 9 with me. In Psalm chapter 9, here is the painful truth as expressed by psalmist. I believe this is a psalm of David. In Psalm chapter 9, look in verse 16. In Psalm 9 and in verse 16, David says, The Lord has made Himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared, trapped in the work of their own hands. You may, like the rat, you may enjoy for a moment what looks like some free, tasty peanut butter. But you understand with a certainty that when you sin, that trap will... It will snap sooner or later. That's the way the trap of sin works. Now, I said a lot this morning about the idea of getting trapped in sin. And I hope that these thoughts have stimulated us this morning to be more watchful and more on guard. But of course, this sermon would be incomplete if I did not tell you how it is that we can avoid that terrible trap of sin. In Proverbs, the 14th chapter, if you're still here in the wisdom literature, just jump right back to Proverbs. One final verse. In Proverbs 14, in what I deem to be actually really one of the most beautiful, in a lot of ways, one of the most beautiful of all of the Proverbs, there the wise man says in verse 27, in Proverbs 14 and in verse 27, the wise man says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. How? How do you keep from being trapped? Well, the answer is very simple. What you need to do is you need to trust in the Lord. God does not want us to be trapped and remain trapped in sin. In fact, God is actively working daily to war against the devil so that we will not just blunder foolishly into the snares of death. God does not want us to die. He takes no pleasure in that. What God wants is He wants us to live. And as a result, God is doing all kinds of things every single day. He is using His Word. He is using His church, His people. He is using maybe our friends and our family and our circumstances in life 
to show us, to awaken us to the folly of sin. God is always warning us through all those different providential kinds of ways. God's saying, don't go there. Hey, stay away from that. Look out. That's sinful right there. That, that is a trap. The question is, do we believe Him? Do we really believe Him? You know what? That's where the rub lies. God tells us what is wrong. It's plain. But all too often we think that we know better. We think to ourselves, oh, that, that doesn't look like a trap. You know, I can flirt a little bit with danger here without actually setting off the trap. You know, well, I really don't even think that that trap would really even hurt me all that much anyway. These are the lies that the devil convinces us to believe instead of us fearing and trusting and obeying our God. As soon as we do anything less than what Proverbs 14 verse 27 spells out, then you rest assured, we will be trapped just like a rat and we will die. Now, it may very well be this morning that as we have been talking about all of this today, it may be that you have come to a very painful realization. Maybe what you have come to realize as we've talked this morning is that right now, presently, you are fully caught in the trap of sin. And if you have come to that realization this morning, that ought to be a very sobering thought. You know, in many ways, this metaphor of the trap and the rat, it it works extremely well. Because when a rat is caught in that trap, he really can't do anything but die. Oh, he can kind of wiggle a little bit, but but it's not going to help. There's nothing he can do to save himself. Just like you and me. When we are trapped in sin, we ain't saving ourselves. We ain't going to somehow make this better and improve our circumstances all on our own. What we need is we need the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of the Lord. We need Him to let us out of that trap. This morning, we're going to sing this song, number 341, to encourage you to think about that. To evaluate your life and to see, is it so? Am I a sinner? If so, then you must know that you will experience the wages of sin. Temporally, that'll be bad. But eternally, That'll be unthinkable. The good news of the gospel is that you can be freed from the trap. You can be freed by Jesus the Christ. You can be buried with Him this morning in the waters of baptism. The Bible teaches that that will wash away each and every sin, Acts 22 verse 16, and that you can then leave here today something different. You can leave here today a forgiven sinner, no longer a trap rat, but a forgiven sinner, a Christian washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. If you have been baptized, brother or sister, but you know that you have turned away from the Lord and you have become entrapped and ensnared once again, then we are encouraging you through the words of this song to repent, to come to God for forgiveness once again. Pray and ask and beg for that forgiveness. Let us pray with you and help you to live faithfully for the Lord once again. What a joy it would be to be able to help anybody today to be set free from the trap of sin. This has been a sermon about death. 
But it is a lesson that can end in life. Could it end in your life? If so, would you make your way down front? Right now, while we stand and while we sing.